Greetings. This is Eric Sinrod from Dwayne Morris. I'm joined by my colleague Jonathan Armstrong from Cordery. This is your weekly Tech Law 10. What are we about today? Well, Jonathan is in Utah of all places, and I think he's going to share us some thoughts uh, from the Western United States. Welcome. Thanks very much, Eric. I'm waving to you across the horizon <laughs> there. Um, yeah, I've... Um, I, 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 as, as you said, Eric, I'm over here in Utah, and I'm doing a, a project with a technology business that's based here, assessing their GDPR compliance. They're in great shape. But one of the things that we've been to test is a data center that this business uses. And this really got me thinking. I think the first time I looked around a data center professionally, was, uh, I guess, in the early 2000s. And we used to ask more or less or, or a similar set of questions when we were assessing data centers then. And I can remember asking a particular question about uh, how they deal with power outage and how soon a generator was kick, would kick in. And I was told that I think at the time that they had battery power for 30 minutes and the generator would kick in there. Here's your starter for 10, Eric. What was the number I was given for generator kick-in time this time around? So it was 30 minutes maybe in 2000. How soon does the generator kick in now? You know, I'm afraid to guess. I'm just going to let you tell us. 13 seconds. I was um, going to say, I was going to say less than 30 seconds. Okay, good. I was a little bit close. You should have been braver. Um, <laughs> I, I know. Well... So, um, so I, I, th this got me thinking, really, in terms of how essential data centers have obviously uh, have become to, to almost all of our organizations. At the time, maybe in 2000, there were two categories of data center. The very first data center I looked around was probably in about 1980. I'm showing my age now. And it was a big data center at ICI uh, in the northeast of England. And that data center, because data centers were so professionalized and so valuable, during the day it ran ICI's business, a large chemical business, and overnight it uh, batch processed uh, stuff for a Canadian bank. And the Canadian staff moved in and they did the night shift and, and ran the bank systems. And it seemed to me at the time that, that we've had this evolution, if you like, of very professional data centers, but also, I guess, in the 2000s, there were entrepreneurial individuals that were just getting big sheds and putting lots of servers in. And my suspicion is that that end of the market is almost gone, and people are relying more and more on professional data centers to run their operation. But the other abiding memory is down here in Utah, the, that industry is expanding. And it makes you think what <laughs> almost about the nature of data. It, it's very visible when you're on the floor of a really large data center, just how much data organizations are processing and how much they are paying to process it securely. And of course, my mind's turning to that because as we speak in 22 days time, the uh, uh, EU General Data Protection Regulation comes in. 
And that has a requirement, which exists in, in, in current law, but the penalties are greater under GDPR, to only collect data that is necessary. Now, I think when you walk around the floor of large data centers, you know that that isn't happening in the corporate world, and that people are almost storing stuff just in case they need it, and, and, and collecting more data than they, than they need. Now, of course, in the US, people like you, uh, Eric, uh, uh, to them, a loft is somewhere trendy where you might live when you're starting your professional career. But in the UK, a loft is somewhere where we keep our junk. It's at the top of the house, and we keep all sorts of things there. You know, I have, I don't know, sock, soccer boots there, uh, just in case somebody invites me to play a game of soccer in a hurry. Now, that hasn't happened for 20 years. The likelihood of it happening anytime soon isn't great. In any event, the boots have probably gone rusty. But we hoard stuff just in case we might need it. And I think that's what large corporations are doing, marketing professionals, people involved in technology. We're creating these digital lofts. Mm -hmm. And the critical thing, I think, is GDPR is going to shine a light sometimes on these digital lofts, particularly if we lose data out of them. And also things like this whole, uh, the, the recent events we've had over uh, data being collected and people not knowing it's been collected and data being lost and exposed also heightens the risk in that digital loft type of operation. So. With 22 days to go, are leopards going to change their spots? Probably not. But what businesses have got to do with GDPR on the horizon is look at whether they are collecting data that is necessary. If so, whether they're disclosing that off to data subjects. And if they're collecting data that isn't necessary, don't pay for Aircon in Utah to store it. Any thoughts, Eric? No, I thought that was very eloquent. And Jonathan, you know, I know you're passionate about this subject. Um, what thoughts do I have? Well, you know, obviously I've had experience, uh, as have others, with, you know, large companies and even smaller companies here in the U.S. as to how they go about uh, maintaining uh, data records. And I think there was an early thought that, well, you know, we should just retain. That's the safest thing to do, keep the information. Uh, but then you have the task of, you know, managing all of that information and making sure that it's handled properly and that you're abiding by uh, your promises made in privacy policies and you're also keeping it secure. And those are no easy tasks, by the way, um, as we've learned and as we see in the news all the time. Um, then, you know, companies, I think, became a little wiser and this is obviously a gross generalization, but I'm trying to give a little bit of a timeline, if that's okay with you, Jonathan, yeah. from my perspective. And they're realizing that just, you know, keeping, you know, data just to keep it is not necessarily a good idea, just like you don't want to be hoarding in your house. You've heard of this sort of the hoarding syndrome where some people just can't throw things away. Um, so then, you know, you work with counsel uh, and in-house also to figure out, you know, uh, data retention policies and what data can you sort of roll out and no longer maintain over certain periods of time. Now, certain types of data records have to be maintained uh, for given periods of time as required by law, uh, but others don't. Um, and where I see this come up, and maybe it's a little bit of field from what you were talking about, but it comes up in the litigation 
context because in litigation, mm. you know, once there's the prospect or the actuality of litigation, even if something properly otherwise could uh, no longer be maintained, uh, uh, then if it's relevant to issues in the lawsuit, it must be maintained, if, even if you could have rolled it out and gotten rid of it uh, as, you know, as part of data retention and, 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 and frankly, documented data destruction. Uh, that has to be maintained. And what we see problems is in litigation where uh, information that is relevant to lawsuits is not maintained um, and no longer is accessible. Um, and then, you know, there's the possibility what we call spoliation claims where uh, a company has not maintained relevant information that bears on the lawsuit. And if they have not, they're subject to a variety of types of sanctions uh, you know, minor sanctions could include, you know, slap on the wrist, you know, monetarily. Uh, but it can get very severe. You can have very significant monetary sanctions. But, but worse, you can have what's called issue preclusion, where the information that was not maintained is then deemed in the case to be adverse to you from an evidentiary standpoint, to the point where you can actually be deemed to just lose your case. You didn't maintain the information, so therefore, the case is going to be construed against you, you lose. Um, so I know that went a little bit around the curve from what mm. you might have been talking about, but these are, you know, all things uh, pertinent to the issue of maintaining data. Am I being responsive, Jonathan? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, that's certainly another, another side of the same cube, isn't it? <laughs> Perhaps so. So how, how, given that this is a topic that you've brought to our attention today, how would you like to tie this up with a bow to, to wrap it up uh, for our listeners? I mean, I guess the only other thing is there's an awful lot of nonsense around about GDPR at the moment. You're probably getting, as I am, all these uh, emails telling people they've got to re-opt in, which are, uh, you know, I could talk for hours about why they're not a great idea. But the main thing to say is, I think, time for focus, people. Uh, you've got a couple of weeks to go now, but don't be frightened. Things like this, you can boil down into simple principles and time to clean out the digital loft this weekend. Let me ask you one last question. You know, we're, we're dealing with GDPR, but is there any specific um, general thoughts or advice you have for people here in the United States vis-a-vis uh, -vis GDPR? And we recognize you're not giving legal advice, but just sort of general yeah. guidance. I'd say maybe five things. First thing is GDPR almost certainly applies to your business. Just because you're in the U.S., don't think it doesn't. Hmm. Secondly, most of the uh, regulatory activity, prosecutions, class actions are going to be over security. So just as we've said, make sure you don't have more data than you need. Those, that data that you do need, you've got to secure. Hmm. Um, uh, thirdly, I'd say um, look at data subject rights. If people ask for a copy of their data, you're obliged to give it to them. Look at things like data portability, which are new rights. Fourthly, I'd say try and follow those uh, six principles of good practice that are in GDPR. If there's only one bit of GDPR you're going to read, read that. And that's where what I talked about, you know, this obligation to not hold more data than you need comes from. And then fifthly, how's this going off the top of my head? Fifthly, I think I'd say do a, do a data protection impact assessment. Learn that. It's going to be mandatory in most cases. If you're putting data into a data center again, that's a thought process that helps you think whether the data center is the best place for it, if it's data you need, and how you're going to secure it. So follow those thought processes through 
If you do those five things, you will solve 85% of the issues that most businesses are under. Very good. You know, that was so well done, Jonathan. You would have thought we had rehearsed that. I was getting scared after number four. Very well done. You said five and you gave us five. All right. So this is Eric Sinrod at Dwayne Morris. This is Senior Weekly Tech Law 10. You can reach me at ejsinrod at DwayneMorris.com. Of course, you can find us on the usual social media outlets. Jonathan? Yeah, jonathan.armstrong at cordrycompliance.com. Thank you for the people, to the people of Utah for your warm welcome this week. Normal Surface resumes next week when I'm back in the UK. Do reach out to us on LinkedIn or other media if you've thoughts on this or other topics. Thanks for listening. Cheers.